Jesus. Ooh. What we're going to do here in just a moment is I'm going to I'm going to kickstart this brand new series. But around our world right now, what is what is taking place? And I, I say this with all the the grace and truth that I know how. It doesn't really matter to me what side of the aisle you are on politically. If you oppose the nation of Israel, you will oppose the Almighty. Because it's his promise to Abraham that he's kept for 4,000 years. <laughs> uh, and what I'm going to try to do this month is I'm going to try to show you biblically. Biblically. Yeah. Try to show you biblically. Not my opinions. Not my political preferences. I'm going to try to show you biblically what God is doing in these last days. And that you know, you, you may not know when Christ is going to return, but you can sense the season just based on what is happening in Israel. 75 years ago, they weren't a nation. May 4th, or May 14th, sorry, 1948. After 1900 years of displacement, God brought his people back to the promised land just like he told them he would. If God can keep a 1900-year promise to Israel, he can keep a promise he made to you in your lifespan. I want you to trust that this God is faithful to his word and that our God, the only God, when he says it, he will do it. Not in your time, not in my time, but always in his time. And is there anybody here that's a living testimony that God's time is always on time? It's always perfect time. Amen. Can you just put your hands together one more time and praise this great God. We honor you today, Lord. Amen, amen. As you return back to your seats, I am going to ask everyone that will grab your Bibles or however it is that you read the scriptures. Um, Reverend Jerry, before service, I was, I was showing my daughter, Evangeline, that I have my dad's old Bible. So her first question was, well, how many Bibles do you have? And, uh, and I grew up in a time period where uh, in the 80s and 90s, where there were so many different versions and, and, and uh, uh, translations and, uh, and really just cool designs and, and, and archaeological Bibles and apologetic Bibles and, uh, and, and Bibles uh, forwarded by, by this author and, 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 and detailed information from, from that author. And so, I mean, I, I, I probably owned like 15 to 20 different Bibles. Come on, anybody else like me back in the day? Anybody else like that? Okay, just a handful of us are Bible collectors. Help us, Jesus. But I was telling her, I said, you know what? Now, I, I have access to my Bible anytime I want. I have apps. And, 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 and these apps I have give me every single English translation that exists. And then some. And so... Can I just say to you, um, those of you who have access to a cell phone or, or to a computer, or if you have access to anything electronic, can I tell you that you are without excuse, without excuse as to why you avoid this word right here, okay? 
So my hope th this month here is, my hope is, is to, to build you, to correct you, to instruct you, according to this book right here. And, and I, I couldn't help but, but think, as I saw what happened last month in the nation of Israel, and I'm not even talking about the, the war, I'm just talking about the attack on the nation itself, okay? The people. And knowing what the Bible ultimately is going to say that happens in the last days, in the end times, concerning the nation of Israel, we befittingly just kind of titled this series, In the End. In the End. Okay. Now, here's the best thing about it being the end of time. It's the beginning of the eternal reign of Jesus Christ. Okay. So this whole series is not meant to make you afraid. It's meant to inform you and get your expectation up so your eyes will stop looking at every temporal thing and you'll start looking towards heaven because I can feel the breeze of eternity knocking on the front door today. Amen. So every, every person who got the extra hour of sleep and you're caffeinated up today, put your hands together and thank God. <laughs> he ain't done with us yet. He's not done with us yet. Amen. Matthew 24. Matthew 24, and I'm sure many of you already knew where I was going. Matthew 24. Okay. Tells us this in verse 3. It says, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Here's what they said. They said, tell us, when will this happen? What will be the sign of, of your coming and the end of the age? Okay. What, what's going to be the sign and, and what, really when will the end of the age happen? Here's what Jesus said. He said, watch out. That no one deceives you. Oh, my Lord. Just before service, Nadia and I were talking about how, how so many Christians just willfully remain ignorant. And they're so easily deceived. Because, because you wait till Sunday for me to feed you the word of God. And, and, and this is my encouragement to you. Don't take my word for it. Take his word for it and know it for yourself. But Jesus says, he says, look, many are going to come and they're going to deceive you because here's what they're going to do. They're going to claim, I am the Messiah. They're going to come in his name. They're, they're, they're going to they're do what he can do. They're, gonna, they're going to say what he could say. They're going to be where he was. But here's what they're going to do ultimately. They're going to deceive many. And then you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Now, you can tell me, Pastor, this has been happening for 2,000 years since Jesus said this. Absolutely. And every time I hear of wars and rumors of wars, I take to heart what Jesus said next. But see to it that you are not alarmed. See to it that you are not, King James says, you are not troubled. For such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Okay. So the disciples say, Jesus, what's, what's the sign of, of, of your coming back? Um, Pastor Olga, do we already know who won the mug contest? We haven't announced yet, but we know who it is. Okay, well, Pastor Olga has no idea because if I would have participated, I would have won the mug contest. Show them why, Tiana. I would have won the mug contest right there. Okay. <laughs> Boom. I'm just kidding. I don't know if I would have won or not. But, but they say, Jesus, what, what is the sign of your return? Okay, so let me do this for just a moment. And I won't be long here, but Tiana, let's give them the timeline of, of the end of time. This is a simple little graph, timeline, if you will, of what things are going to look like before Christ's return. Now, 
what we're going to do, and here's a shameless plug for November 29th, Wednesday night, our next Wednesday workshop. I'm going to really dig deep about what we call eschatology, the study of end times. Okay? So Wednesday night, the last Wednesday of this month. But this is just a simple little diagram, um, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pre-tribulation uh, rapture kind of boy, okay? If you might be mid or post, if you want to go through, you go ahead. I'm going up, okay? That's my, that's my plan, all right? But, but if you have no idea what I'm talking about, come the 29th, all right? Anyway, according to, to what we, at least we see in Scripture, before the rapture of the church, and you won't find the word rapture in, in the Bible, I get that, but the idea is there. Before the taking up, okay, of the body of Christ, What's going to happen is what we currently live in is this present church age. In Psalms 83, there's a war that is spoken about where ten, a coalition of 10 different nations are basically going to rise up against the nation of Israel. And, and, and it's a prophetic word that came during the time of, of the reign of King David. Okay, so Psalms 83. Now, there are those Bible scholars, uh, Jewish Bible scholars, who believe that what happened last month is the start of Psalms 83. I don't know. I don't know. All I know is that it's been prophesied about for 3,000 years that this would happen. Psalms 83 talks of these, these 10 nations that will rise up and ultimately try to destroy the nation of Israel. What we also know is what's going to happen before the rapture of the church is there's going to be security in the nation of Israel. Not just from its founding in 1948, but to the time that they actually took back Jerusalem, okay, or to, you want to call it occupied, fine, whatever. But now that Jerusalem is part of Israel, according to the Six-Day War that happened in 1967, everything is in place to set up, check this out now, the rebuilding of the temple. The rebuilding of the temple. We know this is going to happen before Christ's return. It's been prophesied about. All these things are falling in place. We're also going to see, many of you know this about from Ezekiel 37 and 30, or 38 and 39, is the war of Gog and Magog. It's been debated who these places are, but more than likely they are Russia and, and, and possibly China. The war last year that started in Ukraine got many Bible scholars scratching their head and saying, is this where it begins? Where Russia begins to try to expand its, its, or rebuild its empire and expand again and eventually make its way towards the Holy Land, towards Jerusalem. Listen to me, there are no coincidences with God. Okay. Everything happens for a reason. And there is a purpose to every season and every time under heaven. All right? And so what we see here ultimately is in, the, in these last days, things are setting up the eventual return of Christ. Okay? And the rapture happens, and then the judgment seat of Christ. And I can't wait to talk about the judgment seat of Christ, because when we see the word judgment, we usually think it means condemnation. But for those who are believers, it's actually what we call the Bema seat of Christ. That, that's that place where when you won first place, you go before the judge who's seated there, and he can't wait to place that crown on your head and that trophy around, around your neck and let you know, look at what you've won. The judgment seat of Christ. That's to come. And then, of course, we'll be a part of the marriage supper of the Lamb for seven years in heaven while here on earth. It'll be a seven-year period known as the tribulation. Three and a half years of the beginning of sorrows, and then the last three and a half years known as the great tribulation. And this world will be devastated and rocked in ways that, that only revelations can point out. It's apocalyptic in what's going to happen. And then we will see the return of Christ at the end of those seven years, and then his millennial reign, a thousand-year reign, before ultimately the final judgment, when Satan will be released from the bottomless pit, and Jesus will kick his butt one last time. <laughs>
Uh, I love the Bible. It's awesome. And then we enter into, here you go. This is why we call it in the end. And then we enter into a time period known as eternity. Where God has always existed and where God will always exist. Outside of the space of time. This is why we can call him the eternal one. The one who was and is and is to come. Because he's always been and he always will be. When I was a child, that's what scared me into repentance. When I realized nothing is going to end, I better get right with God. Come on, somebody. Now, let me show you something here. Because when we look at this, and we think, well, how do we know these things are going to happen? It's because, of, I told you last week, of, of your over 31,000 scriptures that exist in, in the Bible, almost one-third of them, or 9,000 of them, are prophetic. They are prophecies. The Bible is not just a history book. It is a prophetic book. It doesn't just speak about what was. It speaks about what will come. And so when you look at the scriptures and you see 9,000 verses of biblical prophecy, prophecy is not given to scare us. Prophecy is given to prepare us. That's what this is about. So when Jesus tells his disciples, look, things are going to get worse before they get better. That's why he says, but don't be alarmed. Don't be troubled. Can I say it in matter vernacular? Listen to me. Don't freak out. Okay. There's no reason to worry. There's no reason to be troubled. Unless you're not right with God, everything's going to be all good. All right? Can I get an amen for those who are right with God? Okay, there we go. All right. So, what we have is now 2,000 years of, of people looking at Matthew 24, and they've guessed, and they've theorized, and they've speculated, and they've, and they've written books Reverend Jerry will tell you, remember, 88 reasons why Jesus will come back in 1988. And then the next year, 89 reasons why Jesus will come back in 89. And here I am, 30 plus years later, I'm still here, and Jesus ain't back yet. But we got people that ask this question, okay, when is Jesus coming back? And can I tell you that Jesus never told us when on purpose? Why? Because Jesus wants you to live every day like today could be the day that he returns for you. This is why. All right, would you humor me just for 13 verses? Would you stand your feet with me right now? We're going to go old school here. Matthew 25. Reads away in Matthew 25. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The, five ones, uh, the foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil or extra oil. I think is what the Amplified says, any extra oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in returning, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones, though, said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were there on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. 
Later, the others also came, the foolish ones. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, check this out, check this out. Truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Wait, I was waiting for you. I was anticipating your return. And, and, and now you're going to tell me you don't even know me? Wait, wait, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we perform miracles in your name? Didn't we go to church in your name? And he will tell me, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, you lawless one. I never knew. Ooh, we don't preach this in the American church anymore. I never knew you. Verse 13 is the kicker. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour when the groom will return. Before you're seated, let me show you this, this, this prank, this video prank that this guy did on his wife. He made her believe she missed the rapture. And I'm pretty sure she made him believe he's about to meet Jesus. Okay, go, go ahead, Tiana, show it. Look, and here's Jordan outfit. He was coloring and he pooped. I like this part here. I repent this morning. It's a prank. It's a prank. It's a prank. Okay, hallelujah. Okay. Come on, somebody. I don't know if that guy's with Jesus right now or not. But the bottom line is here, you don't know the day or the hour, so you might as well get right and stay right and stay watchful now. Amen. Hey man, you can be seated. You can be seated today. <laughs> oh, help us, Jesus. So let me propose a question like this. Okay. If, if you knew that three weeks from today, what's three weeks from today? The 26th? Is that what it is? I'm just kind of guessing here. Okay. Let's just say November 26th. That sounds right. Oh, my math is pretty good. Okay, 21 days. Let's just say in 21 days, you catch wind that Jesus is coming back Sunday morning, 10.30 Central Time. Okay. Let me ask you like this. What would change in your life? Three weeks. What would change in your relationships, in your attitude, in your speech? Dare I say what you are doing when no one else is watching? What would change? In your life. Now, the reason I read you this parable is because this parable is actually trying to give you the proper answer to the question, what would you change if Jesus came tomorrow? Here's what the proper answer should be. Absolutely nothing. Because I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do every day. I'm taking up my cross every day. I'm denying myself every day. I'm not just a fan of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus every single day. So when Christ comes back, he won't have to go searching for me. He knows I'm with him every single day. So the objective of our daily walk of Christ is to live ready. Not scramble and hurry up to get ready. And what does Jesus do? He gives us this awesome parable because he's the master teacher. And what he does is he uses the, the Hebrew custom of marriage. 
And what he's going to do is he's going to explain to us through, through the Hebrew custom of marriage, this is what it's going to look like in the end. Okay? So when we read this parable, here, here comes our problem. Our problem is that when we hear Jesus talk about marriage, it doesn't line up with our point of reference. Right? I mean, come on. We're Americans. Okay? We, we, we typically, when we have weddings, we break the bank. We spend all that money going in. Come on, somebody. And if it don't work, then we spend even more getting out. But that's not how it works in the Hebrew custom of marriage. And I get it. It doesn't make sense because all of a sudden, we, what we first read is there's a wedding that requires 10 virgins. Got kids in the room, so I got to be careful now. But could we find 10 virgins? Oh, Lord. Careful now, Pastor. I got you. I'm going to be real careful right now. Be real careful. 10, 10 virgins that are waiting for the groom. And, and the only thing they're supposed to do is be prepared with their oil. That's it. Now, the Jewish custom of, of, of wedding celebration typically lasted anywhere from three to seven days. Okay? Anybody got a culture where you celebrate your wedding typically longer than one day? Anyone got that kind of culture or came from that kind of culture? Okay. We're Westerners. There we go. Okay. We have no idea. Say what? How much money is that going to cost me? Okay. A seven-day feast, if you will, a seven-day celebration that included everybody. Everybody. You know everybody. Everybody is slang for everybody, including the people you didn't want there. Everybody. The seven-day celebration, everybody, the whole community shows up to the wedding celebration. And what we see here is that along with the, the marriage itself, there were steps that were included. And let me speak real quick to some of these, these, these steps. Firstly, what would happen is during the, the, the time of betrothal or engagement, what would happen is the prospective groom would travel to the prospective bride's house and family. And what he would do is he would pay the family basically the purchase price to obtain her, to have her. And then, and then what he would do is ultimately, in, in paying that price, he was establishing what we call the marriage covenant, okay? The marriage covenant. So, so they're actually in covenant before the marriage even began. This is why Jesus' stepdad, when he finds out that, that Mary's pregnant with Jesus, he decides to privately put her away because they were already married, even though they hadn't yet consummated the marriage via the wedding ceremony. They already had the covenant in place, can I just say it like this? Aren't you glad that you already have a covenant because Jesus paid the price for your life? Before I even get to that marriage feast in heaven, I already have a covenant with the king. And so what happens is the, the groom pays the price for his bride, and then he would leave. Now, why would he leave? Because quite simply, the bride's father would tell him, you can't marry her until you've built a place for her. Don't let me vet your boyfriend. Because if he ain't got no job, and he ain't got no plan, and he ain't got no savings, and he don't have any, any, any place for you, I will flat out tell you, he ain't the one. And you'll be like, I don't want to hear that. Because I love him. And he'll be mooching off you forever. Instead of manning up. Oh, good Lord, am I already saying it? I haven't even started this message. Somebody already canceling me. Fine, you want to provide for him the rest of your life? And, 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 and literally, you want to be his mama the rest of your life? You go right ahead. But if you want to become a man, then let me vet him. And let me help him. And I'll point him in the right direction. 
Can I get an amen for some godly women? Okay, there we go. <laughs> you can't marry her until you build a house for her. Huh. And so the groom would leave, and it was not uncommon for the groom to be gone sometimes over a year. That's a long time to be gone, but he has to go build his bride a home. Ah, oh, now it makes sense. Why, when the disciples asked Jesus in John 14, where are you going? Jesus said this in John 14. He said, I am going. Listen, in my father's house, I love the King James, are many mansions. Are, are many, there's many rooms in my father's house. And he goes, if it were not so, I would not have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, check this out, I will come back and get you so that you will always be with me where I am going. Can I just take a moment right now and praise God that Jesus isn't going to prepare a shack or a hut or a tiny little apartment for me? Somebody take a moment and praise God that Jesus has taken so long to come back because he's preparing a massive place for you to be with him forever. It takes a while when you're building something for eternity. Oof. So while the groom was away, the bridesmaids would have to stay and stay ready. They would have to constantly be ready. And really, isn't that the problem, right? The, 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 the whole crux and issue of, of, of this story is they were waiting. And up to a point, they were prepared. But the groom was running late. With a show of hands, how many of you have a tendency to run late. Don't you lie. God knows you. And somebody next to you is going to put a, 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 an elbow in your ribs. Come on, don't be ashamed. i got a tendency to, 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 to run late. Let, let me, do we understand why we consistently run late? Do we understand why? And, and don't tell me it's culture. Don't, 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 don't tell me it's color. I'll tell you why you consistently run late. You consistently run late because you don't plan for delays. You didn't realize your makeup was going to take that long. You, you, had, you had no idea you were going to run into traffic. You hit the snooze five times. You didn't plan for delays. Oh, Okay. And I know you're going to hate me for this, but I love you. And I want to tell you, I want to tell you, listen to me, even I run late sometimes. It's usually not my fault. You try bringing five other people with you. Okay? Okay, okay. We all relate sometimes. What I'm trying to tell you is if you are always running late, you are rude. And you are telling the rest of us, you don't really care and we can't depend on you. Let me get an amen from the all that, because I saw the majority of you didn't put your hand up because you never run late. Let me get an amen for the people who are on time or early. Come on. Unless you were lying to me. 
Our groom is not undependable. Our groom is not unpunctual. On the contrary, what Peter said in 2 Peter 3, our God, our Lord, our groom is not slow in keeping his promise. No. You know what he is? He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Because he's got so much patience waiting for you to finally open up your eyes and open up your heart and repent and turn to him. He's not running late. He's patient. He's waiting, not wanting you to perish. So when I look at this parable, we see 10 different versions. And in these virgins, what we see is they all have a lot in common. These virgins all came to the same place. They're there at the same time. They are all waiting for the same event. They all fell asleep. So they're all wearing the same attire. They're all receiving the same opportunity. They, they all have gotten now the same exposure and the same experience and they all have the same lamps. Okay? He's the only thing that was different. Five of them brought extra oil. And five did not. Now I'm a Pentecostal boy, so you know I'm going to go with this in just a moment. But five of the virgins were prepared. Five of the virgins were just there. They had the looks. They had the attire. They had the lingo. They were hanging with the right crowd. But Pastor Olga, they had no oil. The American church in 2023, some of y'all, you got the look. You've got the attire. You've got the lingo. Dare I say you even carry a lamp. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You've got everything going for you, but you've got no oil. And you've got to hear me. It's not enough just to look like a Christian in 2023. You need the oil so you don't miss the return of Christ. Woo, this is going to get rough for some of y'all. I better put a, a disclaimer on this message. I, I, I hope you, you, you love me when you came in, and hopefully you'll still love me when you leave. But what I see here is what I see in so many of you. All 10 had potential. Every single person sitting in this room, regardless of age or background or the color of your dust, you have been given potential. There is potential on your life. But realize, potential feels so painful when you do not use it and maximize it. You always feel like you're never enough, never good enough, never accomplishing enough. You don't know how many Christians I have counseled and ministered to along the way that had great potential. But having potential and having talents and having skills and having charisma and having capacity is not enough. There are people in prison with potential. There are addicts with needles in their arms with potential. There are lazy adult children living in your basement with potential. Potential is not enough. Because God gives us all potential. Listen to me though. It's how we steward that potential. Because how you steward isn't up to God. It's up to you. He gave it. You've got to steward it. 
How are you stewarding what God has given you? Because listen to me, if you don't steward the potential God has given you, you know what you're going to become? You're going to become somebody else's hater who is doing more with their potential than you did with yours. That's why you won't ever hear me hating on another church. Okay, you do what you do. But if they're doing more than I am, thank God you're doing something with what God has given you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sure, you're not, you're not as crazy as me. Sure, sure. Sure, you don't spit on people like I do. Fine, whatever. But if you're doing more with what God has given you, I'm not going to hate on you for it. Come on, Christians. Let's stop acting like Satan and hating on people when they're doing more with what God has given to them. And instead of you just sitting around and, and blaming your mama and daddy and your siblings, and instead of blaming the government and blaming your community and, dare I say, blaming your height and blaming your weight and blaming your pastor and blaming your church, you can blame whoever you want to blame, whenever you want to blame them. But listen to me. It's not my fault that you fell asleep with no oil. You fell asleep. We all fell asleep. Because it's taken 2,000 years and the king still hasn't returned. Oh, can I, can I tell you, since 2020, literally, I've been dealing with a sleepy church. I've been dealing with a, with a sluggish... You know some of you, you aren't mourning people? I know. I used to start service at 11.30. You still came in grumpy. It's like, bro, in 30 minutes, it's going to be nude. Since 2020, I have been dealing with a grumpy, indifferent, apathetic church. And that's why at 10.25 today, if you weren't here on time, I started church at 10.25. And here's a heads up. In two weeks, I might start church preaching at 10.30. We call it the upside down service. One was going to preach to the 10 people who are always here on time. <laughs> Don't do that to me, Pastor. If he's going to come back on time, and everything in your life he does on time, then I just need to start on time. And just in case it's your first time here, I'm so glad you're here, but if you come regularly, we start at 1030 on time. Can I get an Amen from somebody who wants me to start what God wants done on time. Pastor Ogle, what I've seen here is what Revelations calls a lukewarm attitude. A lukewarm church. Would you kindly just poke the person that's sleeping next to you and just ask them, uh, are you making God nauseous? In Revelations 3, the Bible makes it clear, if, if God would rather us be hot or cold, but if we start getting lukewarm and indifferent and apathetic and sleepy, the Bible, God says, I will spit you out of my mouth. Are you making God nauseous with your lukewarm praise, with your lukewarm worship, with your lukewarm attitude, with your half-hearted just kind of, can we move on to the next thing, please, pastor? Are we making him nauseous? Because I know some of you, if we sing too long, oh, you, you, we, are, we just found your last nerve. Please don't sing the chorus again. Here we go. 
Come on, if I preach too long, some of you will head out before service is even over. Woo! If, if, literally, if you have to walk too far from the parking lot, I know some of you just turn it right around and drive on back home. Well, what is going on? Can, can, I just, can I do something right now by the Spirit of God? Instead of letting you stay apathetic and instead of letting you stay asleep, can I just ring the midnight alarm right now? In the name of Jesus, it is time to wake up. In the name of Jesus, it's time to get your passion back, your joy back, your praise. Stop staring at me like what I'm saying doesn't matter. It is time to get your anointing back. It's time to get the oil. Because in case you forgot, every day of your life is a gift from God. In case you forgot, every breath you breathe is a gift from God. In case you forgot, your family is a gift from God. And in case you forgot, this house called Impact Church is a gift from God to you. Because right now, I know there's somebody sitting in a hospital or sitting in a jail cell or sitting in a nursing home that, or even watching online that would gladly trace places with you right now. But I can sense in my spirit there are some saints that are waking up. It's time to wake up, saints. I mean, if, if the media can tell you be a woke generation, then I can tell you what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Where are the Christians who are going to help me declare? I can sense in my spirit, my time of slumber is almost over, and now is the time to seize the moments and seize the day. My time is running short. And I don't mean in my sermon. I'll get us there. Tiana, can you give them verse 8 again from Matthew 25? Give them verse 8 again. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. Can I, really, can I just help those of you who always feel guilty when it comes to to you having enough because you will always seem to attract people who don't Dylan for every wise virgin a virgin yeah right virgin yeah virgin okay for every wise virgin there was an equal foolish one for every virgin that was prepared there was a virgin that was unprepared isn't it amazing how, how we often attract those people who make us feel guilty because we have just enough? I mean, I got just enough oil for myself. And then I attract those people who make me feel bad for not sharing what I have with them. Come on, somebody. Now, now I want to be clear real quick. Okay, listen to me. I am all about helping people. If you want to live a life of service, become a pastor. Because people don't care about your time. They don't care about your family. They don't care about your life. They only want your help with what's going on in their time, in their family, in their life. I live my life to serve and give others. I have broken the bank to help people, and then they still come back with their hands out. And when I tell them, I ain't got no more to give you, they look at me like, why are you such a bad Christian? Wait, what? Wait, hold up. I planned, I prepared, I saved, I invested, so why are you calling me a bad Christian when you didn't? Where did my amens go? F floating away. Thank you. 
Wait, wait, wait. Let me, let me say it like this, okay? I want to give you the biblical response the next time people who should have enough are coming to you for a handout. Verse 9. Here's your biblical response. No! You want to know what makes them wise? It isn't that they were wise enough to prepare. It's that they were wise enough to tell that one who was foolish, no! Ooh, I'm about to help somebody today. Because wisdom demands that we learn how to say this two-letter word. No! No! Look, if they wasted their oil, they're going to waste your oil. You've got to realize, I've got to say no. So instead of being so nice all the time, I just got to learn to tell the fool I feel like I'm bringing division in families right now. Some of you are, are doing everything you can to tell the person that you. He's not talking about you. <laughs> this ain't for us. I am not cruel. I will give up of myself. I will stay after service and pray and minister. I will go to your house and cast out demons. I will give of my substance. But at some point, when I realize you should have had something, after the 20th altar call and the third house visits, and I have counseled you and counseled your marriage and done everything I can to help you, at some point I'm going to be like, I love you, but no. Oh my Lord, what is he saying in church? Exactly what Jesus taught me to say. I'm not saying I don't help people. I'm saying I can't help the moochers who won't help themselves. At some point I have to say no. Because foolish people are always going to believe that the wise people should be their source of provision but I refuse to be your source of provision. I heard Bishop Jake say this one time. I love how he said it. He said, get your own oil. Would you just kindly tell the person next to you with all the love you know how? Get your own oil. Get your own. Don't, don't look at me. Look at the person next to you. Tell them. I've got enough for me. Tell the person, I don't want to, Pastor. I know. That's why they keep taking yours. Get your own oil. Can I say it in a little more modern terms? Pay your own bills. This is going to give me a lot of trouble. It's not my college loan. Pay yourself. Oh, Lord Jesus. I believe myself in all sorts of trouble. It is not my place to raise my kids and your kids so you can keep going out, sleeping around, and having more kids. He's coming. I thought the service was about the end times, not about wanting to fight the pastor after church. Listen to me. You think you're a better pastor than me? So do I. But don't cause a church split in my church. Go start your own. Can we just for a moment, can we rebuke that spirit of entitlement that sits on this generation? Somebody help me lift your hands and prophesy towards this thing. We, we speak right now to this spirit that makes people in this generation believe they deserve what isn't even theirs. 
God, right now, we speak against the people that are trying to steal our homes and steal our families and steal our income and steal our joy and steal our praise. You don't deserve it. You're not entitled to it. No, this is my oil. Get your own. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let God's people say amen. All right, I'll wrap this up. The point that Jesus is making here is, I want you to get it. The reason that, that some of you are depleted is not because you didn't have enough oil. It's because you didn't say no. And, and now you're, you're, you're spending everything you have, your time, your money, your energy, your compassion, your emotions. And, and you don't even realize it, ladies and gentlemen, but the signs of the times are there. We're in a midnight season. It is a midnight season. And you have to have your reserve jar of oil with you. You have to have enough. And, and you listen to me, I, I need this oil. You know why I need this reserve oil? Because sometimes life gets harder than I thought it would. I need that oil. Sometimes marriage gets harder than I thought it would. I need that oil. Those who have started a business, you know you're running a business, you know it's got harder than you thought it would be. You need that oil. And if you ever want to do what I'm doing, preach and be a pastor, listen to me. You need a reserve jar of oil. You, you need that. And I know it might sound mean and I know it might sound cold, but sometimes you have to look people in the eye, even people you love, and tell them, get your own oil. Amen. All right, let me finish here. Give me verse 10, Tiana, real quick. Give me verse 10. And here's what got me. All ten, all ten, not five, not the wise, all ten woke up and trimmed their lamps. All ten of them. Wait, wait, wait. All ten had a lamp. All ten lamps had a wick. But only five had the oil. So why are all y'all trimming your lamps? What's going on here? Why is everybody doing this? Give them that image, Tiana. What I want you to see is in ancient times, before they had flashlights, they used something like this, a lamp. And the lamp had a wick. You see it at the very end here. What they would do with the wick is they would soak that wick in the oil. Because the wick is that thing converts the oil into light. I can have the lamp. I can have the wick. But if I don't soak it in oil, I can't produce any light. Oh, the reason some of you are complaining about this dark generation is, you're right, it's a very dark generation. But the reason you can do nothing to illuminate it is because you have a lamp. And you have a wick, but you haven't been soaking in the oil. <laughs> well, Bible readers in the house, Bible readers will, will, will tell you, whenever you come across the word oil in Scripture, you know that oil is alluding to the anointing oil. 
the, the anointing oil, that thing that separates you and sets you apart. It alludes to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So if, I'm, if I have the lamp and I have the wick, but I'm not soaking in the oil, no wonder I can't illuminate a dark generation. I'm complaining, but nothing's changing. Maybe what I need to do is instead of coming to church and expecting everybody else to be soaked in the oil and illuminate the darkness for me, maybe I need to spend some time this week seeking God, worshiping God, staying in the word, staying in prayer, soaking in the presence of the most high. Huh. Verse 10 tells us, all, ten virgin, uh, uh, all the virgins had to leave. All the, uh, of the ten, the foolish ones had to leave out. Though They had to go out. They, they, they had to go and search. They, they had to go and find uh, oil for themselves. And here's what happens. As the foolish ones went out, the wise ones went into that ceremony. The wise ones stepped in to that celebration. And then the bridegroom, the groom, closed the door behind them. My question to you is, what will you do when you finally get yourself together and you finally get enough oil? But you show up and the door's closed. Too late. You stayed foolish for too long. Come on, ladies and gentlemen, by the time the foolish ones wised up and got serious, it was too late. Some of you in here, by the time you realize that life is not a game, it might be too late. By the time you realize that you're not a child anymore, it might be too late. By, by, by the time you stop acting like it's cute to always be broke and be dysfunctional, it might be too late. And, and I want to speak to this generation. Listen, to those of you who are looking and searching and, and, and hoping, I know he's fine, but he's crazy. And you've had enough crazy in your life. I, 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 yes, I, I know that you have an iPad and you wear Gucci. But why are you always coming to me to pay your bills? I, I know that you can preach and you're a worship leader and you're a prophetess, but why are you not submitting to the pastor God placed over your life? Maybe when I finally realize I need to get wise, it might be too late. And I want to know why are some of you so anointed? but you have no light. So anointed. Maybe it's because the, the purpose and the potential isn't what's missing in your life. Maybe what you're missing is the oil. Reverend Jerry, we can, we can tell you. Okay. I can say this now because I'm in my 40s, so I can say I'm part of the old church. I always heard that growing up. Back in the old church. Well, I've been around for four decades. I can say back in the old church. Rev, let's just be honest. We didn't always sing very good. We didn't always sound very good. We, we, but we wore suits, ties, dresses, something called pantyhose. Ladies did. Maybe our sound wasn't the best, but our worship brought down the power of God. We didn't have the lights, and we didn't have the, the, the performances, but we had the power. Yeah. I, I, I grew up in the old church, so, so I grew up in the church that, that, that we, we sat in hard wooden pews. But though we sat in those, those hard wooden pews, the presence of God would saturate that place. I grew up in church, listen to me, we've only been here for two hours. 
I grew up in church where this was just halftime. Because not only do we have four-hour services Sunday morning, but then we came back Sunday night for another round of church. Woo, what would happen if in these last days God called us back to make the Lord's day his day all day? Ooh, thank God for DVR. Come on, somebody. Because the point I'm simply trying to make is this. Maybe, just maybe, what we had in the old days wasn't, wasn't, wasn't beautiful and it didn't sound great. But we had a power that is missing today. And I want to tell you, I don't need church to last four hours. What I need is the power of God to show up so that men and women are getting saved, healed, and delivered. I want to ask you here in these last days, do you agree with me? We don't need better singers and we don't need better preachers. We need some oily preachers and some oily singers, some men and women that have sat in the presence of God and allowed themselves to saturate their entire being in who God is. Would you stand your feet with me today? Listen, I get it. You're not old school church, so you might not understand what I'm talking about. David, turn me up because I want to make sure everyone's out what I'm saying right now. I'm talking about the kind of oil that causes demons in the room to get upset and uncomfortable. The kind of oil that makes people who have been possessed run out those doors because I can't stay where the presence of God is. I'm talking about the kind of oil that tells depression and fear and suicide. You can't stay here anymore. Your hope is broken. I'm talking about the kind of oil that unites the hearts of people who are of different background. I'm talking about the kind of oil that breaks the yoke of the enemy on your life. I'm talking about the kind of oil that tells racism you've got no place here. That tells every religious devil be gone. We'll stay here all day in God's presence if that's what he desires. I want to know if in these last days can we get the kind of oil that releases generational blessings over our children. That we don't have to talk about the old days. We're still living in a move of God today. Would somebody lift your hands and prophesy with me? And let's release in this generation the oil of God that covers our family. Help me release the oil of God that heals our physical bodies. Come on, somebody. Help me release the oil of God that protects our resources, protects our money, protects our minds, covers us. In the, in the power of the Most High God. That kind of oil in the last days. Well, we don't say it's, we don't talk about the old days. We talk about what God is doing in these last days. These last days. In the end. Help me right now as we lift our hands to the Lord. I want to declare what Isaiah 61 says. It says, to all who mourn, God will give you a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Here it is. Woo! He will give you the oil of joy. The oil of joy. He will give you the oil of joy for your mourning. He will give you the garment of praise. Someone shout praise. Come on, I said shout praise. Praise is not that quiet thing you do when the music's soft. Praise is that thing you do that no matter what's going on, God, I praise you in the middle of this storm. I lift my hands and I lift my voice and I use my praise as a weapon to tell my faith God will come through. He will give you the garment of praise 
instead of that spirit of heaviness. Ultimately, we will be called oaks of righteousness. We are the planting of the Lord. Here's why. So that God alone may be glorified. Can we just take 23 seconds and just give God some oily kind of praise? That kind of praise that just simply says, God, thank you for all you've done. Thank you for all that's happening right now. Thank you for the answer that I don't get see, but I know it's on its way. Thank you that you haven't forgotten me. Thank you that soon and very soon I'm going to see my king. Thank you that you're not done in my life, but the good work you began in me, you will complete it until the day of Christ's return. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now I need to know. I need to know. Because there are both sets in this room. There are wise and there are foolish. And just looking at you, I can't always tell if you're wise or foolish. But you know. And I need you to know this about, about wise people. We're not perfect people. We're just people who are prepared. We are prepared. That's the only thing that makes it different. We're not perfect. We're just prepared. So to those who have been foolish long enough, and you are ready to get serious before it's too late. Come on, somebody. Christ isn't back yet, so it's not too late. If you've been mad at me the whole sermon, now shift your mindset towards me. It's not too late. Now is the time for you ultimately to decide. I'm not just going to profess faith. I'm going to practice my faith. I'm not going to be a fool anymore. Fools will build their life on sand. They build their house on sand. Sand is anything that is shakable and movable. And if you build your life on your career, if you build it on your relationships, if you build it on money, dare I say you even build it on, on, on your church home family, we're shifting sand. We might be for you one second and the next we might be totally against you. Don't build your life on anything other than what Jesus taught us because this is the only firm foundation that will remain. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will remain forever. So what I want to tell you is this. If you're foolish today, now's the time to wise up. Now is the time to wise up. Now is that season where you're saying it's not too late. And before I can wise up, I need to wake up. Wake up, oh sleeper. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Because soon and very soon, we're going to see our king. To those who have felt like, you know what, I've been living my life like a fool. But today I'm ready to be wise. Throw up one hand right now. Just that, that's me. I've been a fool, but I'm ready to wise up. And no shame. Look around the room. The majority of us are doing that. Now, if you don't have your hand raised because you are wise, would you reach over and grab somebody who isn't yet? Reach over and lay a hand on somebody who isn't wise or somebody who's going to become wise. Help me out here. Help me out here. If you're standing next to a fellow fool, grab their hand, then that's fine. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Let me pray for you right now. There's a potential in your life. It's been God-given. But I don't want to just speak to your potential. I want to speak to your preparation. I want to speak to this time in your life where you stop, you, you stop being frustrated about your potential. And instead, you just start preparing 
preparing your potential. God, I pray that every foolish decision, every selfish decision, every person in here who thinks some wise person will have enough to help me out in the end, today is that day we are waking up before the groom returns. We're coming to our senses before the groom returns. When we've made up our mind, I can't depend on anyone else's oil. I need to get my own before Christ returns. And what I'm trying to tell you here today is that your God is bigger than your potential. Your God is greater than your frustration. And here today, as you make the decision in these last days to wise up, Father, I thank you right now that you are helping the men and women in this room let go of their meager potential, let go of their meager plans, let go of their foolish ideas and their foolish goals and foolish games. God, I thank you today that instead of me settling for, for not enough and instead of me showing up never having enough, today is that day when I declare now unto him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all I ask or think according to the power that's still working in us. Family here today, let the oily people open up their mouth and declare I've got more than enough I've got the hope of glory Jesus Christ inside of me today is the day I refuse to live foolish any longer I'm gonna wake up I'm gonna wise up with every hand raised right now whether you're wise or a fool today is that day every hand raised help me now father I thank you that in this moment every one of us Every single one of us have the same opportunity. And we're hearing the same sermon. And we're being exposed to the same anointing oil. Every one of us. No one is exempt in this place today. But God, some of us will leave the same way we came in. Father, I know you love those people. And I speak over your life. You still have time, but you don't have much. But since you're not even hearing me anyway, I speak over everyone who is. And Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like the wise man who built his house upon a rock. Because listen to me, we haven't experienced anything like what's about to come. The rain and the wind and the waves are going to beat against your house like never before. But listen to me. Though the fool's house collapses, people are going to look at you and ask, why is your house still standing? Why are you still sane? Why are you still blessed? Why are you still walking with joy and peace and hope and faith? And you'll just simply tell them, because I ain't no fool. I built my house on the rock and I brought my own oil. I'm ready for whatever's to come. So Father, I pray over my brothers and sisters right now that the foolishness would end. Let it end today, Lord. In the name of Jesus, let us leave this place wise, full of wisdom, no longer frustrated with our potential, 
but submitted to your will, to your word, to your plan. In Jesus' name.